The Oregon College Savings Plan can help fund your child's dreams and ideas. But it's not just for college. It's also the trade school savings plan and the books and materials savings plan, even the room and board savings plan. With fewer educational expenses to think about, your kids can focus on what matters, their future. Start saving today to support your child's tomorrow. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. Have you ever wondered how to move forward or best move forward after you've had a life altering event? Well, we're going to find out tonight when we meet my guest, Frank Zakari. Hi, I'm Connie Bramer. Welcome to Laughter and Inspiration. Most of you know me as the founder of Get Your Rack Back or GYRB as we call it for short. It's my foundation in upstate New York that provides financial services to cancer patients. We provide gas and grocery gift cards, medical co-payment assistance, and sometimes I'll pay, you know, an oil bill for heating. I do a little thing, do the little things like that if people need that. Um, we haven't been doing much because of the, the pandemic and there's so many rules. We can't have pe- a lot of people in a room. So we haven't been able to do any, any of our fundraisers, but I've been really grateful to people who've been making donations to us because this week I was able to provide, or we were able to provide $500 in grocery gift cards to a colon cancer patient. And he was a male. And I know people think get your rack back. It's all, you know, breast cancer because that's what I had, but it's not. We help men, women, and children with all types of cancers. I'm also the author of How Connie Got a Rack Back and a contributing author to The She Shift, Chaos to Clarity, and Crappy to Happy, which is the second in the Chaos to Clarity series. And Frank is also a fellow writer in that book. It's actually coming out October 6th, so you'll have to take a look at that. So before we meet Frank, I have to tell you about him. And you know, I always have these great, amazing guests on that I have to condense all of their accolades because there's just so many, but I'm going I'm to try to hit it all, Frank. So Frank is the lead business development advisor for Life Altering Events, LLC. He is the author of several books, including When the Wife Cheats, we'll have to ask him about that one, Inside the Spaghetti Bowl, Storm Seeds, From the Ashes, and Five Years to Live. Frank is also the host of the internet show Life Altering Events, which airs on the Voice America Network. He is a mentor for, for entrepreneurs, and I am really excited to pick his brain. So Frank, thank you for coming on the show. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, Frank and I talked the other day, and he is just the most interesting guy. So there's so many things I want to talk about, but I'm just going to kind of dive right in because there's a lot to get through. So I wanted to talk about some of your books. So the first book I wanted to talk about is Five Years to Live. You based your chapter in Crappy to Happy, which I was very blessed to have been able to read ahead of time, on your story about your brother, his accident, and you know how life had become after that. And, you know, what prompted you to write that story of your brother? And if you don't mind, could you tell us all the story of your brother and his challenges? Sure, I'd be happy to. The, uh, my brother, uh, Steve, he's the youngest of five. He was hurt in a car accident uh, 35 years ago now. 
and he was paralyzed. He's a quadriplegic. He can move his arms, but he can't do the fingers. So he's considered mm-hmm. a quadriplegic. Uh, he was working uh, for a, a department store chain, which people in the youth probably know. Remember, it was Ames Department Store, if you're old oh, enough yeah. to remember Ames. Yeah. And, he, and he was a troubleshooter. And he would go through a store and remodel it and then move forward and go to another store and remodel it, that type of stuff. Well, that week, he got engaged on a Friday was heading to his next job, which is going to be in Delaware. He was working out of a base in Delhi, New York. Okay, now you have mm-hmm. to be a, a, a longtime New York State resident to know where Delhi is. Because I know exactly where that is. Good. So he was we're living in Delhi. I was driving to, to, uh, to Delaware, and this accident occurred uh, on, uh, on a, set, a Sunday. So he was driving on Sunday to be there on Monday. And uh, the first call... Uh, we received was uh, my, my sister who runs rehabilitation hospitals called and said, and she was just crying hysterically. And uh, she said, Steve's been in and she couldn't get the words out. So I'm very, I'm more the direct to the point person in the family. I'm the oldest mm-hmm. of five. And so I said to her, is he dead? And then that sort of shook her into uh, and she said, no, but he was very badly hurt in, a, in an accident. So I transferred him to Thomas Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia because the accident was near the border in Philadelphia. And for the next year, he was between Thomas Jefferson Hospital and McGee Rehabilitation Hospital. Now, we wrote the book um, a few years later. Uh, my brother had wanted to get this story out at some point, and he just couldn't or wouldn't do it. And so I had written two other books, uh, the one, The Wife Cheats, and then uh, the one about the University of Washington Volleyball, which is more of a business book. So I, he lives in Phoenix. I was over at his house. I said, Steve, are you ready? Are you ready to, 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 to do this? Because you're going to have to do a great deal. I, wasn't, I was with you a lot, but I wasn't with you at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when you were going through all the other things. Mm-hmm. I said, so you're going to have to go back to some very dark places. Are you ready to do that? And he said, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. So my brother Steve was injured. My brother Tony, who writes very well, the three of us decided, let's see if we can put this together. And we went sort of chronologically of what occurred. We wanted to give background on what he was and who he was. And he went to Canisius College. Again, people from New York State know who what Canisius mm-hmm. College is. It's one of the more the elite schools in the western New York area. And then he uh, started working at Ames, and at 23 or 24, this, this, uh, this accident occurred. And the reason, Connie, I felt compelled to get the story out is because I had never seen anyone go through something so catastrophic. The doctors came out of the surgery and told us surgery went as well could be expected. Um, people, and I asked the question again, being the blunt one, I said, I read that people with this injury uh, die within five years. Is that true, yes or no? And the doctor's, well, and I said, don't give me the well, just yes or no. And she said, that's true. That does happen. However, every case is unique, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, my brother was phenomenal in going through this and helping other people at the hospital. And he had such a positive attitude that was, it just shook everyone and inspired so many people. He was at McGee Rehabilitation Hospital in Philadelphia. And uh, Teddy Pendergrass, the singer, was also mm-hmm. there after he had been in an accident. Um, and I remember walking down the hallway at the hospital one day, and one of the nurses said to me, uh, Frank, who is your brother? And I said, he's right over there. And he said, no, who is he really? 
okay, Teddy Pendergrass got more mail than anybody ever in this hospital ever, and your brother has broken that record by volumes, mm -hmm. huge volume. And it says, plus he gets letters from Lee Iacocca, uh, Governor Cuomo, the first Governor Cuomo, yeah. from Jack Kemp, who was our congressman, who even came to visit him while he was in the hospital. And they said, normal people don't get this kind of mail, and they don't get it from those kind of people. And I said, well, my brother is, is an inspiration to, to uh, so many people. And anyone who meets him instantly becomes his friend, right? Now he's got friends from grade school. How many people mm -hmm. still have friends that they knew from grade school, right? right? But that's just what he was. So we put the story together because we wanted people to, to, to see and understand that your circumstances don't dictate what your, what your life is going to be. That's At one exactly point, right. the doctor... When the doctor was telling us, um, you know, the five years to live component, then she went into, you know, he's going to be, he's going to have to have help all the time. He's not going to be able to do any functions. You're going to have to learn how to do everything all over again. You may want to consider him in a special home. My mother, still alive at the time, and my mother just lost her mind at that point and said, "There's absolutely no way he will ever, ever be put in a home." But he's got four brothers and sisters and five, 400 cousins. We're going to make sure that that never happens. And so he started off, went back home to Buffalo, uh, got a master's degree, started working at Fredonia State University and doing all the architectural work uh, to make sure everything was compliant. Mm -hmm. And he, had, he would do things like he'd go to a building, he couldn't get in, and he would say, okay, I'm going to give you X number of, of days to have something put together for this or a plan or whatever it is, or I'm going to call the radio station or the TV station and we're going to have them here. And I'm going to be sitting in my wheelchair telling them why I can't get into your facility. Okay. So a lot of things got done quickly. Mm -hmm. He then moved to Arizona because you know, Buffalo, New York is just not a place to be in a power chair. No, it's definitely not. So he moved to Arizona and he got involved in so many things. He and my sister, my sister, one of my sisters also lives in Arizona. In fact, they live next door to each other. They, uh, they started a couple of businesses. My brother was uh, put onto the planning commission for Arizona for the building and things. He's been asked to run for political office repeatedly, which he just keeps saying no, because he said, I might, physically, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to have AIDS get me up in the morning. I can't, I'm not moving around until 9.30 or 10 in the morning. So uh, it wouldn't be fair for the people to do that. But we get through this ordeal and he comes through it like I'm better than anybody. I could, I don't think I could have done that. Mm -hmm. And we're all watching uh, at his house one time, uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, the movie. And at the end of the Count of Monte Cristo, the, the gentleman gets up and he talks about the, the young man who's having a birthday party and that he had been captured. And when the people were going to torture him, he said, do your worst and then I'll do mine, and I will survive. And so he's coming up August 11th, will be 35 years. It's incredible. And I think it's just a testament to the human spirit. You know, you read stories of people who've had life-threatening injuries, and they come back. I think it's a beautiful story. You told it very well. And I hope that people will, will you know, get the book, because it's such a beautiful story of family. And all of your books are all based on life-altering events. 
So, you know, I got, I got a hit on, uh, you know, when the wife cheats one, that must've been a hard one to write. Was that hard to like deep down dig in and write that one? That was difficult because, um, my, my then wife left the family and my daughters were very young still 10, 14. And then I had custody. And so the plan was not to write a book. That was never the plan. We started uh, going with my daughters to, uh, to counseling. And the counselors would say, uh, you need to journal. And I said, I'm not going to journal. I've lived through this. I don't want to write it down and deal with it again. And then they said, uh, well, while this was going on, this was a really interesting Connie. I got phone calls from nine men that I knew. One, my best friend on the planet. And they said, how are you doing? And, uh, oh, Frank, you'll be okay. This happened to me, too. And I said, what? Particularly to my best friend in the world, Jim McLaughlin. He was then Mm -hmm. a volleyball coach at Ted Volleyball Coach at Washington. And I said, wait, wait. I've worked with you for 10 years. You've stayed at my house. I've stayed at your house. We have traveled all over the world together. Why do I not know this? Because it's, pri- it's a private thing. People don't want to talk about it. Yep. That's what he right? said. You want to talk about this, Frank? And I said, no. And he goes, that's why. Exactly. You don't know. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So while I was in the counselor. She said, look, Frank, you've got nine stories. You've got nine stories plus yours. So you have 10 stories. So write a book. It's not autobiographical. Mm-hmm. And have the characters of, of these nine women who left. And then the, the gentleman and what they went through and then combine it into a story and follow your life as, as sort of a guideline. Mm-hmm. Um, but write a story from a man's perspective of what it's like to go through this and come out the other side. Okay. Now having two daughters was probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. It's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done because mm-hmm. I've never, never been a teenager. I had no idea all the issues that surround teenage girls, particularly ones who don't have a mother. So we said, we're going to get through this. And in, uh, you started, I love the counselor. She told me, Frank, you got a number of major problems here. Problem number one is you're a man. <laughs> Can't change that. Who knew that she was said, an issue? <laughs> yeah. She said, problem number two, you're a type A personality. I was a high tech executive for many, many years, and you're used to saying, here's how we're going to do things and fix things. You can't fix this. Right. You're going to have to learn to listen. You're going to have to learn to validate feelings. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to learn not to try and jump in and offer advice. Can I just interrupt you for a second and just say that that's a total man problem across the board, what you just said. Because most women, all we want is for you to listen. Like, just be like, let us bitch for five minutes and and don't say, well, why don't you do this? Or why didn't didn't you say that? Or how about we try this? Like, don't fix stuff. So have you learned that having your daughters just not fix it? I I learned that. And uh, the youngest one, who is quite a character, she said, well, Dad, we made you a better man. I bet they did. And I said, uh, you in fact did. did. You did when I was was (laughs) writing the book and putting it together. And I I got to that, that part there. Somebody said, oh, my God, Frank, that's like dying and going to hell for somebody like you. And I said, well, at first, yeah, it was. Because their mother left just before Thanksgiving. And so uh, 
now Christmas is coming, right? And, and I never bought all the Christmas stuff before, right? Mm-hmm. So I now have to go do this. And so I'm going into stores, like Kohl's and various stores, and I would look for a mom with a daughter about the age of my daughters in that range, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I kind of walk up and I have something that I thought might work. And I would ask them, I said, um, you know, can, can, can I ask you a question? And I said, this is my first year, first Christmas as a single parent. And I have a daughter about the age of your daughter. And I showed them the thing and I said, is this lame? They're probably like, absolutely it's lame. (laughs) (laughs) Well, about 50% of the time, (laughs) the the, the daughter (laughs) would say, do that. Ew. Okay, maybe I should go look for something else. Well, it's a, it's a change. It's an adjustment. You know, like when I got divorced, my ex-husband had to do those kinds of things for the first time ever. Because as women, I hate to like do, play the female card, but we do all of it. Like, you know, like most guys don't do all the day-to-day things. And no, no offense to a lot of dads out there, but, you know, that was my experience. So right. my ex had no idea. But then, you know, my daughter is such a pain when it comes to buying gifts for that one Christmas, I think she was like 12. I bought her a whole bunch of shirts and clothes at Kohl's. And I thought like, I did a good job. I had to return everything. She's like, (laughs) these are awful. I'm like, okay. So guess what my kids get? Gift cards. Gift cards. (laughs) That that really eases my pain. So I wanted to switch gears for one second because I'm in business, right? And in business, we talk about having a great elevator pitch. Like what are the two or three sentences that you're going to say to somebody that you potential business partner that you want to hit home what your mission is and you need to paint a picture. And I watched a video of you and you said, what picture is your vision painting? And one of the things that you said is you talk about how your why in business needs to paint a picture for people to want to take action. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure, sure. I wish I had said this before Simon Sinek, but it, he's the one who wrote the book, you know, starting with why. And basically what, what I discovered in, in many, many years was nobody cares what you do because there's a thousand other people who do what you do. What they care about is why do you do it? And how you make them feel. Yes, and how you make them feel and how you go about it. So in that talk, I was talking, we were working with, with a, uh, uh, an insurance agency, okay? And the insurance agency, he has sort of had a background like me, been in high tech, the domestic situation changed, and a very successful high tech executive. And then all of a sudden, can't be that anymore because he can't travel. So he takes over an insurance agency, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So he gets to uh, the management and says, okay, how do you do this? And they say, we put your office here, 15 to 20 mile radius around your office. Did your customers call them up, bring them in, sell them insurance. Okay. And so I said, well, how's it going? And he says, not well. Okay. Not said, easy. Well, not no. easy business. No. And I said, so if they told you that was the best practice and it's not working for you, then it's not a best practice, is it? And so we went to the why. Now, you get a lot of arguments with people on this. But I said, why are you doing this? Why, what, what's the purpose? And he sort of floundered a little bit. And I said, your purpose is you're protecting people's hopes and dreams. That's your why. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people will come out and say, well, that doesn't say what you do. And, and okay, I don't care. It worked. Okay. Then how? How are you going to do that? 
How is we're going to give you the, 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 best, the best amount, of, the highest amount of coverage and service at the fairest price. Okay, not the lowest price, the fairest price. And then the final piece is drilling down and determining that the term now they use is avatar, right? Who is your target? Mm-hmm. And we said your target is going to be uh, professionals, minimum income in the family, 150000 or more, one car, excuse me, one house, two cars, and children. And he looked at me and he said, well, why? And he goes, because those are the people who have hopes and dreams they want to protect. They're going to listen to what you have to say because you're going to come across as, I'm going to talk to you about your life. And, oh, by the way, some insurance may come into the conversation rather than I'm here slinging insurance policies. Okay. Those are the things you have to look at is how does it relate and, and bring value to the person you're trying to sell your product to or you want as a customer. Mm-hmm. And then as you start creating what, what matters to them, then that you start building your elevator pitch from that. A lot of input from, from the customer. Great example. Great example. Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson people are Harley Davidson. Okay. They, they'll, buy, they'll wait longer to get a motorcycle. They'll pay more for it. They wear, wear fringe. My, my dad, I just have to interject here. When my mother died, my dad, they were, had, they had planned to go motorcycling. So my dad, I worked for my dad at his car dealership and he came in with his Harley and he opened up his arms like this and it was all fringe. He goes, what do you think, Con? I go, well, I'm not getting on the back of that motorcycle with you. I'll tell you that. But <laughs> But it's true, but that, just a little departure, but that's true about Harley-Davidson people. That's right. Continue. I, I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt you. you. Continue. You drill down. You, you look yeah. at, who am I trying to serve? How do I bring them value? And mm-hmm. then you set yourself up so that there's no other option. There's no other alternative. And this in, in this insurance case was based in Sacramento. The guy had business all over the state, the entire state of California, big state. And he had business in all over the state because he was very selective about who he wanted to have as a customer, number one, and then went out and made sure that they saw the value that he was bringing to the party. So there was basically no other alternative, even though there's 10,000 insurance agents probably in the city of Sacramento. He had this dominant market share, very profitable. I think what happens in business a lot, because I train salespeople, and finance managers in my business. And a lot of people that I work with are very passionate about a specific thing. And they try to talk to their customer about it with that passion they have without peeling the layers of the onion to find out what is it the customer wants? What does that customer need? What is the best value for that customer? And, I, and, and when you were talking in that video, I hope people go watch it on your, on your page. It is called, What Picture Is Your Vision Painting? So great that tool is, what you, what you talk about in there, about how to hit what people, what, you, what people need. You know, what do they want? What do they need? And how are you making them feel when you talk about it? So I just wanted to talk about business for a second. I mean, sure, I'm a business girl. So now I got to get back to the books because your books are all fabulous. And my favorite that I, I read a lot of pieces of different books because I can't read 30 books a week, which I wish I could. I wish I was one of those speed reader people, you know? But anyway, I read some pieces of Inside the Spaghetti Bowl. 
And I want to find out why you named it that. But in this book, you write about your mother, Carmela. She sounds fabulous, by the way. And she, you talk about her life, her illness, her death, and what follows. Because a lot of people, you know, like even with cancer, I was telling someone this recently. When you have cancer, people are rally, 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 rally for you, right? And then in the aftermath of, you know, making it, everything quiets. It's the same thing when there's a death in the family. Yes. Like you're all, you rally, right? Your friends come, there's the funeral, there's all those things. And then life gets very quiet and reflective. And the one thing that I really loved about the story in this book is that your, your mother left a box for all of you kids and their grandchildren with right. things that she, that she was given by that person over the years and included in the box were things that you might like. And I thought, that's just really so thoughtful. So what was everyone's reaction when they opened those boxes? It was, it was very emotional. Well, yeah, uh, I can to imagine. To say the least. And we, we, we sort of knew that she was doing something because my mother was kind of a pack rat to a degree. Mm-hmm. And she knew she was going to die well before my father. And so she started laying out all kinds of things. My dad just died in January. And in the, in the, it's been about 12 years since my mother died. And she had everything laid out. Here's where everything is in the house. Here's where the, here's where the will is. Here's the attorney. Here's, here's everything. Here's the deed to the house. So we knew she had something. But the old Italians, basically, the one thing that they, that they want is not to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And she said, I just don't, don't let my grandchildren forget me. Yeah. And so when they got their own little packet, it was, okay, grandma's with us. She's, yeah. she's with us. And this November, this, yeah, this, this November, she had set up. Uh, money order, not money order, CDs, CDs. Okay. And she had put CDs aside and with, with a long lead time, obviously. And she told my youngest brother, Steve, who one was hurt, he said, when they mature, I want you to take that money and divide it up and give it to my, my six grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So this Christmas, now 12 years after her death, they're going to get however much divided by six is, uh, as a gift from their grandmother. That's just really amazing. I, I can't imagine, like, I almost want, I want to ask you what's in those boxes, but it's just so thoughtful. I mean, to sit there and be ill, like she was, yeah. and and have the foresight to say, you know what, this would be such an amazing gift after I've passed away for my family. I don't know. I just, I thought that was a really remarkable story. So I got I have to ask you, is it because, is it called Inside the Spaghetti Bowl because, you guys are Italian, and she was probably a, be- a great sauce maker. What was what's the story with that? It's a, this is a really a funny story because I, I owned an insurance agency at the time, and um, this was I think the, the third book, third or fourth book we wrote, and uh, one of my customers was was in the office, and we were just talking, and uh, he was he's about he was about eighty years old at the time. He's a marine. Marines are never retired. Marines are former marines. Marines are marines forever. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking, he said, what do you do? What are the book you're working on? So I was telling him about it. And I said, I, we don't have a name for it. We can't come up with anything. We're just floundering. And he sits there as we're talking. His wife is there. And he sort of sits back. He doesn't say anything. He's not engaged in the conversation at all. 
And then he leans forward and he goes, inside the spaghetti bowl. It's a great and I title. Said, because, and he says, because family is like making spaghetti. You put everything together and you mix it all up and sometimes it turns out good and sometimes it turns out not so good. And I said, can I use that? And he said, yes. I said, I'll put, I'll, I'll give you credit in the book for it. Yeah. And well, so, uh, it's a beautiful story about love and family. I just wanted to say that yeah. too. It really is a beautiful story. Well, that was the whole idea was um, when we put it together, we wanted people who read it to say, I wanted them to be reminded of their family. And when mm -hmm. they think of their family and their memories and their tradition, that it makes them smile. And if we get that out of that book, then I'm happy. Yeah, that's definitely a win. So I wanted to talk to you about one of your other books. That was, I think it's your most recent book, Storm Seeds. And it's the sequel to your five years to live um, yes. piece. So I want to read a quote of yours in here. Misery has a role in everyone's life. The question is, will misery take over your life and lead to your ultimate destruction? Or do you have the courage, strength, and support to pull yourself up and move forward toward a better life? And I thought that was so spot on. And it's like, if you're, are you going to wallow in it or are you going to do something and use it as a stepping stone, stone to get to a better place? So what is your advice for people who are facing difficult circumstances? Well, life-altering events are going to happen. They're going, they're going to happen. And then you have a choice. Now, they either thrust upon you or you choose them, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the way I suggest that people deal with it is, first, you're going to go through the grieving process, and you, you have to go through it. You cannot put it off. I tried to put it off for a long time. It's going to happen, and it's not going to go in order. Okay, here's the right. No, it doesn't happen. You know that. You get to mm -hmm. this point, and then you're back to depression again, all right? But what, what found and what I always suggest to people is, Keep moving forward every day, even if it's a half a step or a quarter of a step. Just move forward. I was here, now I moved to, the, to this point in time. The second thing is don't look behind you because you're not going that way. Right. There's nothing new to see in the past. Okay? Make a, make a decision. Keep moving forward. And as you start moving forward, what I've discovered is better times – and better people are going to come into your life. And you're going to find, if you, if you continue this continuous movement, that the life you're going toward is going to be a lot better than the life you left behind. I agree with that. And, you know, one thing that you and I talked about the other day is people having aha moments and choices like forks in the road that, that – present themselves where, you know, you have a moment in your life where you thought, you know, I thought I was going to do this, but I really want to do that. Right. So you have like this aha, the moment that says light bulb goes on. I want to go this way. So yeah. what is your advice to people who have that aha moment and want to change the trajectory of their life? Like what are your, what are your thoughts on that? The key thing, I read a book by Janice, Janet, I believe, and Chris Atwell. Atwood, Atwood, A-T-T-W-O-D. And the passion test is what it's called. And the, it was enlightening because I've heard it before, but I had never read their book before. And you have to find out what you're passionate about first. 
and even give you a little test you can take to determine what your passion is. And the reason a lot of people don't act on that aha moment is because they don't know what their passion is about. And then there's the fear that comes in. Okay, well, all I know is this. And, and you know, I got, the kids are going to go to college soon or I got a second mortgage on the house. And, and there's all the excuses will start coming in when you think you have that aha moment in your life. And more, and more than not, people will back away from it. You know who Mel Robbins is, the five-second rule? Mm-hmm. She was on my radio show, and she talked about the five-second rule. And she said, when something comes into your head, you have to take action on it because your body is designed to prevent you from doing something that's going to hurt yourself or injure yourself. And when you're going into something new, that's a fear, and it sets up a trigger. So you have to take some kind of action. And don't worry about the how. Mm-hmm. How am I going to do this? Okay, well, let's not worry about how at the moment. Let's worry about why we're doing it, and let's start moving forward. And the how will work itself out. Things will come to you from places you, you would never have imagined. I'm working within this consulting and doing the radio show, and I'm also a mentor with the University of California Entrepreneurship Academy, the, the 10 top universities in California. And we started working with these brilliant minds who don't have a clue about what to do in business, but brilliant minds. Mm-hmm. And Jay Abraham, I, I, I get in contact with Jay Abraham and the, the marketing man. Mm-hmm. And he says, why don't we put together a program working together with some of these brilliant minds and see if we can uh, help reduce the, the failure ratio, give them a, give them a roadmap to, of success as opposed to just throwing them out. And, because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. What you don't know can hurt you. You own a business, you know, right? And mm-hmm. then who you know is often more important than what you know. Because do you know the right people who can put you in the right places or introduce you to the right things? That's true. That came out of the blue. I, I, I knew who Jay Abraham was. I had no idea he was aware of who I am. And Well, that's pretty family. awesome. I mean, you got to say, yeah, wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Where did that, that come was, from? That's awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And then another gentleman that we worked with uh, had a connection with Mr. Abraham. But uh, you, you start down the path. And if you're committed and you're focused and you're moving, mm-hmm. everything is going to open up. Things will, barriers that you, you couldn't have anticipated will come open, like your foundation. Okay, when you started that, you didn't know how it was going to work. You just knew right. it was going you to don't, work. You don't know what you don't know. But exactly. you know, in, in talking about this, I think a lot of people stay complacent in their life out of fear, of failure or fear of, you know, the unknown of going this route in their life. And that, you know, I always say, you know, like I tell my kids, if you're going to college, you know, I want to go to medical school and I didn't, and I really wish I I can't do it now. I got two kids in college. That is a true excuse though, (laughs) because I'm closer to retirement than anything else. But, you know, I told them like, when you're in college, if you decide you want to be something, go now, like do it now. Like that's why I tell young people, if you need to do, if you want to do something, do it while you can do it now or before life's excuses get in the way. But yep. aside, aside from life's excuses, there are small ways in which we can do the things that we desire to do. And I say that with, you know, finding an organization or a foundation, something that 
is, aligns with your passion. And then that opens doors for you when you start to do things like you, you volunteer somewhere or you join an organization, you join a women's rotary club or whatever it is you find, you, you meet new people. And it, like you're saying, it opens doors. And it I does. think a lot of people stay in a, in a place where they're out of fear. I mean, you agree with that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Fear is the greatest inhibitor of uh, any, any kind of success because, um, <laughs> the talks I give is everything you want on the other side of fear. Okay. That's true. It's there. Do you want it? How badly do you want it? And willing to do, and what are you willing to give up? I do a thing every, every day. I write this uh, a quote and I post it a lot of places called something to consider. And the, and the Dalai Lama was one. And he said, measure your success by what you had to give up to get it. That's what a good were you one. willing to do differently to get to where you are, okay, that's what the passion comes in. And that's where it's going to make a difference because you have to walk away from something or move away from a, an area that, that's of great comfort to you. Like leaving, leaving high tech and going to insurance, which I had to do, was like dying and going to hell. And I couldn't wait to get done. It was a means mm -hmm. to an end, right? I get my two girls through college. And, right. and the minute the youngest one got a job, I sold the business. Yeah. Right. And, and I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now, but I'm going to go forward. And the whole idea is to bring value to, to people who are, who are in business or into organizations to get them to a point where they can thrive because the failure ratio, as you know, is outrageously high, outrageously high. And one of the, th one of the things that I talk about a lot is People will say, well, well here's, here's the standard practice. This is what you do. This is how it's done, right? And I say, well, following that standard practice leads to 50% failure ratio in three years. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to follow that path? Let's see. Let's say, what if? And let's look at something that might be different, all right? And then have the courage to get into it. Starbucks was probably the best example. I used to live in Seattle. And... Before I moved to Seattle, I was there on a business trip, and I was standing by the Pikes Market. You know, the Pikes Market's where they throw the fish and all the commercials you see in Seattle. Mm -hmm. I'm standing on the corner waiting for my guy to come out. Across the street, on one corner, is a coffee shop called Tully's. In the middle of the block is a coffee shop called Starbucks, the original Starbucks. And at the end of the block, one city block, was a coffee shop called Seattle's Best. Right, and I'm waiting for the guy, and I'm looking over there, and there's a few people in Tully's and, and the Seattle's best, but the people standing in line in the rain because there was no sitting inside at that point, like now. But you couldn't go inside; you get in, come out. People standing in the rain to get this coffee because and Starbucks gives you an experience. They do. Their it's, coffee is an experience. And right. It's five minutes out of your life where you can have whatever you want. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Starbucks starts moving forward, right? And the best practice at the time was no blenders. So in Santa Monica, California, one of the managers there said, We're having a little down cycle here during that when the weather gets hot, brings his own blender from home, starts making blended drinks, starts making frappuccinos, right? Yeah. He puts them out where people taste them. The people love them. You're right. And the Starbucks credit, they didn't say, oh, wait, that's not the best practice. They changed the practice. Right, because you have to be able to change with the times. And I say to people in business, 
changing is difficult, but not changing can be fatal to your business because you have to be able to morph with the change of times and the needs of people and the desires of people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You keep your goals and your focus and your principles and your integrity. They stay constant, but the adjustments have to be made as you're going forward. Whenever I hear people tell me this term, it drives me nuts. Best practice. And I go, oh, best practice drives me crazy because best practice is a point in time. It's not in stone. It is not right. gospel. People have followed best practice all the way to destruction. Eastman Kodak, Blockbuster, mm -hmm. the old Western telephone. I'm dating myself here. Because years ago, before the telephone company uh, deregulated, you can only get a phone from one place. Well, I know that. I and, right. and when I worked for my parents, my dad was so happy because he didn't have, you know, $100 uh, phone bills because my, I was working with my mother. I didn't have to call every day. It was before the deregulation of telecom. So yes. that opened up everything, you know. We, we could talk for hours about all this, I, but I got I to gotta ask you for more, some more questions. So sure. I know you've been following my laughter and inspiration page. We just kind of yes. hit on that before we got on yes. air here. And I always read my guests a saying. It's either, you know funny or inspirational. I wanted to get your take on it. So here's yours. Life doesn't come with a remote. You have to get up and change it yourself. I love that. <laughs> Isn't that great? And which I will say this it reminds me of actually being the human remote at my house as a, as a kid, because, you know, back in the day and yeah, the seventies, there were no remote controls. So my dad would say, Connie, get up. And I'd be like, what? You know, like my dad, if my dad says something to you, he wanted it done like yesterday, which right. I'm, I'm like that too, which is awful about me. But like, I'll be like, Alex, take the garbage out when he doesn't take it out. And then I get mad with it. I go the hell with it. I take it out myself. But anyway, he goes, Connie, get up. And I'm like, I get up and he goes, go change the channel. I'm like, really? And I, but I couldn't say that to my dad, you know, no. we laugh about it now, you know, but anyway, yeah, we, we have to be able to make the changes in our own life for ourselves. You know, we can't wait for mm -hmm. some lightning bolt to come down and make things better. We got to be able to move forward and make changes. So I wanted to throw I wanted to throw another question at you. What sure. is your What is your best advice for making the world a better place? Wow, best advice for making the world a better place is do what you believe in for the right reasons. Let me see if I can explain that better. You, you, you do, you look at the world as a whole and like we're going through now and what makes sense? What's the right thing to do? I heard my mother and father tell me that my whole life. Do the right thing. All right. Uh, you, you know what's right. You look at a situation and there's a right and there's a wrong. Mm -hmm. Do the right thing. The more you do the right thing, the better the world will be because someone will see you. They will see you made you had this fork in the road, as you mentioned. Right. You made this choice, okay? Someone's going to see that. You may not even be aware that it impacted somebody else's life, but someone else saw that, and then they pay it forward. All right? And then they try to do something for someone right. else. And it just evolves that way. Is Look at now, what you're doing. Ironically, not to interrupt you, but ironically, there is an insurance commercial. I can't think of the brand, the, the name. Where one person, you know, helps a customer, helps someone with something, then they go help someone with something. And like, it's a whole like circle right. of people helping each other. And, and 
not to be funny, but I think it was an insurance commercial. <laughs> I think might have been. But, but anyway, that is totally true. And you know, I laugh, my poor kids, I feel so bad for my kids because I drill into them all these things, like just always make the right decisions, always do the right thing. And if it's, you know, what would mom do at this juncture is not do it, then don't do it. You know, so my poor kids like probably have me like on each shoulder, don't do it, you know, but yeah, but that's, you know, it's always about doing the right thing. That's exactly yeah. right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So, you know, that we talk about um, on my show, the power of gratitude, living a life yes. of gratitude. And, you know, that's one thing that I share with my cancer patients when I write them a letter. I tell them um, it's really important to keep a gratitude journal because if you write down three things a day at the end of the day that you're really, you know, grateful for that day, it helps feed more positivity into your mind. Right. Yes. So today, Frank, what would be your top three things that you're grateful for? Three things that I'm grateful for right now, this minute today. The first thing is my family is all happy and healthy. And that's the number one thing, especially my two-year-old grandson, who I'm going to see next week, that's is awesome. this perpetual motion machine, and he's healthy and he's happy. That's the first thing. The second thing is I, I recently moved to San Diego, and I love it. So I'm very That's grateful. what I hear is the best place to live in California. I feel it's, it's the best place to live in the world, and I have been all over the world, mm -hmm. and this is where uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to live here in San Diego. And the third thing that I'm, for, that I'm gratitude for today is I have the ability to talk to you again. I so enjoyed our first conversation, yes, and thanks. I'm loving this one, and you're going to be on my radio show yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have lots to talk about because the crappy the happy book you guys have got to get that book. I mean, yes. the stories in it are phenomenal. And right now I'm in the midst of my crappy to happy series, which is airing all of September and October. So everyone's going to get kind of a little bit of a taste of some of the stories, but they're all wonderful stories. And Frank, yours was just a beautiful story about your brother. And I'm so thankful that you shared right. that. So how can people find you online? They can find me, they can get me on LinkedIn, Frank Zakari. They can get me on Facebook. They can go to my website, which is frankzakari.com. Uh, on there on the website, we've got about the tag team. That's the program with Jay Abraham. His mm -hmm. organization is called the Abraham Group, T-A-G. So tag team. Yeah. Uh, wasn't the most original idea, but... Uh, it works. Actually, it it works. works. So far, it's working well. Right. It works. So that's how they can find me. Uh, send a messages on Gmail. Um, I'm easy to find. Well, I will put all of that up for you. It has been such an absolute joy having you on the show, Frank. Thank you, because I love picking your brain. You're so insightful on so many levels about everything. It's just been a joy. So re, re, you're welcome. Remember, everybody, it's important to always leave people better for having known you. And Frank, you've done that over and over again for a lot of people, and we all appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Everybody, I'm Connie Bramer. This has been Laughter and Inspiration. I'll catch you next time. Oregon College Savings Plan can help fund your child's dreams and ideas. But it's not just for college. It's also the trade school savings plan and the books and materials savings plan, even the room and board savings plan. With fewer educational expenses to think about, your kids can focus on what matters, their future. 
Start saving today to support your child's tomorrow. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. Where you live shouldn't limit your access to quality internet. That's not fair. U.S. Cellular introduces fast and fair high-speed internet. With reliable home internet from U.S. Cellular, now there's no limit to how you stream, game, and work. So instead of this, you get this. Upgrade to fast and fair high-speed internet from U.S. Cellular. Upgrade to fair.